So many great faces. This is awesome. Um, so I have the privilege of continuing. Wow, it's really loud. Sorry. Um, I have the privilege of continuing our series on the kingdom of God. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to Josh's sermon last week, jump on the podcast, jump on iTunes, Spotify. It's everywhere. Um, but it's, it's really important to help provide some context to our discussion. And when I, when I think of the kingdom of God, um, I immediately think of it's a kingdom not of this world, right? And nothing throws it into stark realization when we sometimes hear the words of Jesus. And we think, well, that sounds kind of silly. That kind of sounds crazy. That kind of sounds trite. Or, yeah, that's nice, but that's not really based in reality, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like Jesus is a little bit like he's taking us into Alice in Wonderland, right? Where he talks about things like, you know how you win over your enemy? You don't get back at them, you love them. Did you know that looking lustfully at a woman is the same as adultery? Did you know that anger is really murder? And we're like, I'm not sure that's true, right? And it's a little bit like Alice in Wonderland, and the quote goes, why sometimes... I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast, right? And you look at Jesus and you're like, that's just not true. That's not how the world works. And Jesus is like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And let me show you more, right? So today we're going to be talking about worry. And worry is one of those things. When we go to Jesus and we say, all right, Jesus, what do you have to say about worry? He's like, don't. And we're like, that cleared it up. Mm-hmm. That's all I needed to know. Just, just don't. And you're like, okay, so is there more? And he's like, yeah, um, don't be afraid. Okay, Mad Hatter, right? Like we just look at him and we go, that can't be complete. That can't be enough. Because if you really understood my day, if you really understood my marriage, if you really understood my job, my struggle with my sexual identity, my struggle with my grades, my struggle with my school, my struggle with drugs, my struggle with my ministry. I'm not sure you would leave it so simplistic as just simply don't. Right? It feels insensitive. It feels incomplete. It feels a little bit as if he's going, you know what? Just let it all go. Trust God and all will be well, right? To which we go, I've never seen that played out. Even the people that I know who love Jesus, who follow him closely, who do the things that and sometimes I wish I did better, it doesn't always work out like that. And in fact, we would sometimes push back and say, but doesn't wisdom call us to something more? When there's things that are hard in life, right? When our finances aren't quite right, when our job isn't quite right, when our marriage isn't quite right, we're not just called to sit down and just let life happen to us. When you look at the rest of what the Bible tells us, God gives us very clear things. Seek wisdom. Seek advice. Plan. Prepare. Save. Work it through. So we sit here sometimes and we look at Jesus' words and we're like, so uh, which one is it? Am I just supposed to not and don't and sit back? Or am I supposed to plan and prepare and lean in and problem solve and do all the things so that I can be a good steward and I can be prudent and I can be wise, right? So sometimes we, we kind of sit in this tension and we again go, Jesus, man, you're a bit like the Mad Hatter. When it says follow your kingdom, I'm like, mm, 
I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Seems a little bit like off, right? I'm not sure you're, you're all there or that you see all the things that I see. So we're going to take a little bit deeper look at what Jesus says. We're going to actually go into part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to start in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, um, and if you don't, it's up on the screen, so not to worry. But we're going to go to Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. All right, so it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life or an inch to your stature or change the color of your hair at the root so it never comes back gray again, right? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor, they do not spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon, right, the richest of kings in all of his glory, um, was not um, dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not that much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, to which we're like, okay, I think I'm kind of getting it, right? Like, you care, you see me, you provide. I'm getting some of it, right? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I don't know about you guys, but sometimes um, I've had moments where I can read something like that, and it resonates, it hits. And it's like you're in maybe one of those clear sky moments of your life. Maybe you're in a classroom setting. Maybe you're on vacation and you read it and you're like, yeah, you know, life is just, I've come up for air. I can see it. It's so simple. God is good. I can trust him, right? And maybe even in some of those moments, you hit some of the bumpy parts of the road and you're like, if you're a Jesus follower, you're able to attribute some of those moments of the right phone call, the right meme, the right comment, the right scripture, the right verse, the right song on the radio, and you say, God, I see you. You see me. You're with me, right? And so sometimes those kind of classroom lessons, what I would almost call Sunday school lessons, they live with us for a little bit until life gets really hard, right? They don't live with us. They don't carry us when suddenly the unexpected, the unplanned, the unexplainable when that comes into view. So Jesus, almost immediately, if you guys um, do have your Bible, I'm literally taking you from here on, on chapter 6 into here on chapter 8. And Jesus is like, all right, I got a little object lesson for you guys, right? So we're going to go to chapter 8, start in verse 23. Now, before I get into this, and you'll see it up here on the screen in a minute, before I get into this, don't zone out because you've heard this story before. I want you to catch a few things. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. But without warning, just like your life, without warning, everything changes. 
Without warning, cancer comes. Without warning, life is harder than you thought. So without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown and you're here. What are you doing? And he replied, you of little faith, right? There's our, there's our callback, right? You of little faith. Don't worry. He's saying, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? So then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And if you were here a couple months ago, Josh said, yeah, it's Superman. You want to know who's with you? It's Superman, right? And, and the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, that was weird. And for some of us, as we look at the story, or we might go, they might say this was amazing, or that was not quite sure what to make of that, but that goes in my memory forever of what just happened. But some of this, this speaks to our biggest fear, it speaks to why we can't look at the Sermon on the Mount at face value and say that's good enough, that's complete, is because we face every single time we run into a bumpy road, we ask the question, God, do you even see me? Are you asleep? That's our biggest fear is that in those moments of turbulation, in those moments where the circumstances are bigger, are harder, we look at God and we're like, are you there? Do you not see my parents and their divorce? Do you not see how this hurts? Do you not see me? Right? That's one of our biggest fears and our biggest questions when it comes to um, Jesus saying, you know, just simply, don't fear. You have little faith. Don't worry. We're like, mm, okay, Mr. Mad Hatter. <laughs> Sounds great. So what's encouraging to me is that the disciples go through a number of object lessons, right? They go through walking where Jesus calms a storm, Peter walking on water. And then the real test comes. Then the real test comes, with, if you're familiar with the Christian faith, where Jesus is tried and tested and decides that he's worthy of death and he needs to be crucified, right? Unjustly tried, unjustly tested, and he's crucified, and all of his friends, the people who heard these objects, you know, heard the Sunday school lesson when the sky was clear on the hillside, just don't worry. Then they saw the object lesson. They were in the boat. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm with you. Then the test comes, right? And what do they do? They lie. They deny. They hide. They left their man hanging when it counts. Literally hanging, right? So those object lessons didn't quite carry them through the hard moments of those days, even for the disciples, right? It's kind of encouraging, right? Do you ever have moments when you could look back and you think, man, I remember that one time at camp where it just all made sense, and Jesus was so real, or I remember that one time in my car when I just cried out to God and it was like my car was filled with the Spirit and I just couldn't deny Him. Or I can hearken back to that one time when someone prayed for me and it meant something and I knew something was there, but in the reality of my day-to-day -day life, it didn't carry me through. It wasn't enough. 
right? Because life gets hard and life gets ugly. And before I show this next screen, if, if you guys don't like seeing anything graphic, look away for just a minute. Um, but if you don't mind, we're going we're gonna to take a quick look at this is what the disciples were running from. Um, in 1986, if you go back just one slide, Trevor, the American Medical Association publi published an article called The Physical Death of Jesus Christ. And it literally detailed what happened to him to death on the cross, right? When his disciples hide, lied, and denied, it's because of this, right? If you go to the next slide, Trevor, because of this. To the point where Jesus, the, his body was under such stress that he was sweating blood. And it's a rare occurrence. It's something that happens when someone's body is so overwhelmed that literally they begin sweating blood, right? This is what the disciples are like. Yeah, do not worry doesn't take me to here. Do not worry does not solve this, right? And they're running. Just like in some senses I find a lot of comfort because I'm like, yeah, me too, <laughs> If this is on the other side, I'm going, Jesus, I don't know about this thing, right? You can go ahead and take that down, Trevor. We don't need to keep looking. Um, but if you ever want something to reflect on in, great, in gratitude of what and who Jesus is, pull that up. So one of the things that I want to just pull away from just really quick before I dive back in, one of the lies that we, we sometimes read into this story, into the Sermon on the Mount of don't worry. Don't be afraid. Jesus cares. We read into that. If Jesus cares, life would be easy. If Jesus cares, it's smooth sailing. If Jesus cares, there's no bumps. If he's with me, it all goes well. To which Jesus is like, um, no, it doesn't. My life didn't go well. My life didn't end easy. My life wasn't without pain and sorrow and grief. That's not what Jesus is saying. And so be very, very careful when the lie in your head, when the enemy says, if Jesus was with you, this would all be gone. It's just not true. So what changes, right? What changes in the disciples from the lied, hide, denied Jesus to suddenly, we learn as they go through the rest of their experience, the rest of their days on this earth, they themselves are crucified in the same way, some of them the same way Jesus was. Some of them said, I can't be crucified like my Lord, you need to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to even be hung like he was, right? What changes in him, in those men, in those, in those disciples? And there's a couple of things that I want to unpack first before we get to what changed? And I want to focus first on why is worry so bad? Like, why is Jesus like, don't worry? Why can't we worry? Why isn't that okay? Right? And there's a couple of things that I want to unpack for us um, today, right? We could say worry in some senses is a really good thing. I worry about getting into a car accident, so I buckle my seatbelt. Right? I worry about having resources that I need in an emergency, so I save and I plan and I prepare, right? I worry about getting into school and, and making it to the college that I want or to the degree that I want, so I do my homework and I worry about it and it concerns me, right? Um, we schedule our days and plan our days because we're worried about keeping our job and rightfully so, right? So where's that balance between the good worry and then the not so good 
worry, right? Why is Jesus so concerned with, don't worry? Like, why can't we just go, it's okay to worry, but I'm here too. And he's like, no, just don't. A couple of things that I want to point out. The first is, science will tell us what worry does to our health between our adrenal gland and cortisol and hypertension and poor sleep and back aches, distraction. We all know this, right? We know that worry sometimes puts us into this spiral where we just can't seem to get out of our head. And that sort of brings me to the second thing. You know what worry does? Worry is myopic. Worry is all about me. If we go back to the list of the things when we say, yeah, Mad Hatter, do not worry. Yeah, Mad Hatter, what about my health? What about my mental health? What about my job? What about my finances? The theme in all of that is my, 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 my. Our life, when we're consumed with worry, when we go to bed with something and wake up with something, our life is consumed in the my, right? Which leads to the third point, is that it eventually leads to a level of pride. Where is it, in those moments of uncertainty, we all seek for something. We all seek for control in the chaos. We all seek for control in the confusion. We all seek for control in those circumstances that we're like, what just happened? What is this 180 that I've been dealt, and where are you, right? And Jesus even calls that out. If you remember, he says, it's natural to seek. Even the pagans seek after these things, right? It's natural. It's part of our nature to seek out stability in the midst of the chaos. And so we seek the control. We seek control through worry. So Jesus says, okay, it's natural to seek something, does anyone remember what he tells us to seek instead of worry? Anyone say it loud enough? Kingdom of heaven, right? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and my righteousness, to which we go. Huh? Does anyone else look at those words and you're like, um, I need like a dictionary. Like, what does that mean? And then once again, we're like, thanks, Mad Hatter. <laughs> you got me. Like the, the rabbit hole just keeps getting deeper with your answers that seem trite that seem simple. So I want to actually take us to another iteration of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So we've been looking at Matthew's take on it. I'm going to take us to the book of Luke. So if you guys go to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start at the end um, of verse 28. I'm going to kind of pick up partway through. And we're going to start with, Oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagans, the pagan world runs after all such things, right? They seek that control. They seek for the things that make them feel like they have control. Then your father knows that you need all the things that you're seeking, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
in Matthew, right before we went into the, the sermon on do not worry, I don't know if you guys caught it at the very beginning, it said therefore. And Matthew refers, whenever there's a therefore, you're like, well, what's, what are we saying now a therefore to, right? Um, Matthew talks just like Luke does about your possessions, where you're, where you're giving of your things, right? And, and I think part of that, I've always heard it interpreted as, um, you know, we can trust God so much that literally we could be free to just give it all away because he will provide, right? And we're like, mm, I don't know about that, Mad Hatter, right? And we back up and we're like, I don't, I don't know if that's completely it. And I, I think that's true. I think God could provide in such a way if that's what he called you to, absolutely he could. I don't think that's what he's prescribing as the path forward. I see something completely different. I see something um, unique. If we go back, if you go back just a slide, Trevor, why does Jesus talk about provide purses for yourself, things that don't wear out, treasures in heaven? Why do we need treasures in heaven? I always thought heaven was like complete, like we didn't need currency, we didn't need anything to our advantage, we didn't need anything to help us along. So what is the currency, what is the treasure, what is a currency of heaven? The currency of heaven is people. The thing that lasts beyond today is our relationships. The thing that lasts beyond today is when we're able to look up and go, oh, who are the people around me that just need some encouragement? Who are the people around me that just need a little spring in their step? Who are the people around me that I need to come alongside and make a meal for and just sit with and cry with, right? It's all about people. And so what's the best way, in a sense, for Jesus to ensure that we don't look so inward is to say, don't worry. Don't be all about yourself. Don't all be about the my, 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 my. And instead, look outward. So what I see in these verses is not a prescription of do not worry is all about your money. What I see in these verses is it's their first object lesson. We just miss it. We sometimes read the Bible so black and white that we miss it. Put yourself in first century Christianity. What are these individuals concerned about? What is consuming their going to bed and their waking up? Think of the Maslow's hierarchy of need. Their basic needs. Will I have enough to eat? Will I have enough water? And will I have clothes? Those aren't our concerns for those of us who are privileged to be sitting in this room. For most of us, we don't go to bed worrying about what will be on the table in the morning or which of our hundred shirts we might wear tomorrow. Those aren't our concerns. Our concerns are different. But where we need to be careful is, is unpacking Jesus' prescription, Jesus' answer. His answer to first century Christians was to look up. Give it all away. If it's consuming you, if, the, if, if you're worried about your finances, if you're worried about will you have enough, then go find someone who has less than you do, and you know what that does to make you feel better? Do you know what that does to bring perspective to where your worry doesn't feel quite so big? It's not about giving it all away, and that's the, the ultimate trust, and so therefore do not worry. He's asking us to simply look up. 
right? And so he's saying, I want you seeking. I want you seeking something different. And Trevor, if you go to the next slide, I want you seeking. And this is something that just jumped off the page to me. Go to the next slide, Trevor. I want you to see my kingdom. I want you to see me as your king. And me as your king in my kingdom, it's not about your health. We know the end of this story. None of us are going to live forever. It's not about our finances. There'll be days when we have plenty, and there'll be days when it's not enough. It's not about our mental health. We're going to have good. We're going to be bad. All of that ebbs and flows, right? Spoiler alert, it all ends for all of us. That's not the goal, is somehow to seek eternal life here on earth. It won't happen. What God says is, I want you focusing on me. And so his prescription for first century Christians was, if you're worried about your finances, don't let it own you. Give it away. Find someone who needs it more than you do and build relationships. Build things, treasures in heaven, people in heaven that will go with you into eternity. That's what matters. So when we see the king, and Trevor, go to the next slide. When we see the king, we learn that Jesus is focused on a who, not a you. He's focused on a who, not a you. I want to give you a couple of examples because it's easy to go, okay, I kind of see it with, with Jesus and first century Christians. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, when I, in those moments when I found where Jesus has focused me on someone other than myself, when we were, um, when we were first married, I don't know if you guys, when you were first married, it was like just smooth sailing, easy. It all just made sense. It all worked out. You were in sync on all decisions. All, I mean, if you did that, you can leave and you, or just, you should be up here teaching all of us, I suppose. Um, but for us, it, it was bumpy, right? We're figuring out how this whole dynamic of marriage works. And I was in seminary and going to get my master's in counseling. And I was stressed and tired. And Josh is working. We're always stressed and tired. Isn't that life sometimes? And um, part of my practicum, part of what I went to do when I was in my 20s was um, I was part of a group counseling setup at a divorce recovery down at a church down in Denver. And I don't know, I mean, some of these individuals looked at me like, okay, you're like 24 and you're teaching me about divorce recovery. And I'm like, yep, fair point. I'm here to listen and learn. But I remember on those Tuesday nights, you know what I walked away with on Tuesday night? When I looked beyond me and I looked to who, those people who were hurting, whose marriages had gone in a bad direction, had gone in places that they had never hoped they would go. Do you know where I came home? Josh and I used to laugh about Tuesdays being divorce recovery, and he got, we always were like making out. It was like, this is so good. I love you so much. Our problems are nothing. This is easy. Like, compared to what they have, this is so much easier, right? Suddenly, it wasn't about me and us and our dynamic. It was about a who, not a you. Do you know how you not, how you get over loneliness if you ever find that you're lonely? How do you get over loneliness? You go find someone who's lonely, and you make them less lonely. And you know what that does for you? You're not as lonely, right? When you make it about a who and not a you, you solve your loneliness. 
What about mental health, right? Those things that bring you down, those things that make you feel like, Lord, I can barely get up today. Why would you make my brain, my heart, my body, my physiology work like this? Go join a group. Go join a, a recovery group for mental health and suddenly you go, you know what, it's not so bad. <laughs> or I can pour into them or out of my own pain, I can serve and I can equip and I can grow. So God says, yeah, don't worry. When you seek first my kingdom, when you seek a who, not a you, it changes things. Same with money. If money's the thing that consumes you, right, where it's moved from a stewardship, being wise, being prudent. Does anyone notice that worry sometimes disguises itself as wisdom? Do you ever feel that way? You're like, I'm not, I'm just being wise. Just really concerned that, you know, God's not paying attention, so I'm going to worry about this a little bit more, right? I'm worried that he doesn't see my needs, and so I'm going to save a little bit more. I'm going to hoard a little bit more. That's a pride issue. That's a trust issue. That's a, that's a you-focused issue. If you were to look back over the last few months about your finances, is anyone but you benefiting? Is anyone but you winning because you won? Jesus says, if you want to beat it, you got to let it go. Not let it all go, not be foolish, not throw caution to the wind. It's about a who, not a you. What else changed with the disciples, right? We know that worry is bad, right? It causes our health to go bad. It keeps us myopic, singularly focused, all on me, my, 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 my. And it's a source of pride, but the other thing that changed in the disciples is they not only stopped at the crucifixion, as many of you guys know, right? You attended Christmas, Easter. You know the story that Jesus rose from the dead. They watched a man who looked like that greet them three days later. So suddenly it's not about giving to the poor and it's not about calming the storm. It's suddenly there's more to this story and God writes my story, right? We know how this ends. If you're fearful in your life because you're afraid you're going to die, it, you're going to die. The, it, it's it's going to end. What changed for the disciples is in the midst of all of the what that caused all of their fear, there was a who that says, look at me and look at my kingdom. Look up, look around you. Who needs you? Who needs you? So as we wrap up today, I want to wrap up with a prayer. In those moments where you find yourself going to bed with one concern, waking up with the same concern, going to bed with one concern, waking up, and it's a cycle that you can't seem get to get off of. I want us to consider praying this prayer. So Trevor, if you go to the next slide. I want you to pray, Lord, I seek your kingdom, not mine. Please teach me to look out for a who, not a you. Would you show me who needs me and I need them today? Right? And suddenly this rabbit hole, right? This idea of we're Alice in Wonderland and the Jesus is the Mad Hatter. It's not about a rabbit hole of Alice in Wonderland. For those of you who were born before 2000, I'm going to make a reference. The rest of you, it's not going to totally make sense. 
but it's less like Alice in Wonderland. It's a bit more like the Matrix. Do you remember what Morpheus says to Neo? Let's have see, see how deep this rabbit hole go goes. And he says, it's up to you to let go of your fear, to let go of your worry. And he gives Neo the choice. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to a rabbit hole that, yes, it feels a little crazy, feels a little bit backwards. It feels like, man, if, if I'm worried about not being enough, I shouldn't give any of it. And he's like, no, 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 turn it upside down. Turn it upside down. We're going to flip this rabbit hole, a little bit like Morpheus and Neo. So as we wrap up today, I want you to be thinking about the thing that consumes you the most and say, where's a who and not a you in those moments? And with that, I would like to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to um, see your heart for us, Lord, that you don't look at our problems and look at our challenges and say, just ignore it, just ignore it, just your eyes on me and it's all good. It's not how you treat us. Lord, you look at us for the complexity and the pain and the hurt, and you say, I've been there. I get it. I know. But keep looking up, just like you did on the cross. You looked at a who and not a you. Your disciples looked at a who and not a you, and they changed the world. And so, Lord, as we go into Monday, I pray that we'd be looking for a who and not a you that can change the world around us. So, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this church. I thank you for the people who chose to be here on this Sunday morning. Pray that you would bless them in the week ahead. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.